Hi, I'm Jeff Sankoff, also known as Dad, and for the purpose of this podcast, Dead. And I'm Sam, also known as Daughter, and also known as Slaughter. Welcome back. This is episode two. The Dead and Slaughter Dad and Daughter Horror Show. And for episode two, we are going to be reviewing... The Exorcist. This was uh, a fun film to watch. We both enjoyed it very much. Sam, what did you think overall? Well, I think that it is an amazing film with incredible characters and a very interesting plot, although it is incredibly disturbing. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, disturbing is a great word. Unsettling was the other way I thought of it. Certainly not jump out of your skin scary the way we had both been led to believe uh, and not really what we had feared. Um, Just... very unsettling. Yeah, stayed with you for a long time, right? Yes. Well, let's begin with a, a brief synopsis of the film, just uh, in case some of our listeners haven't heard it. Uh, this film was released in 1973 and was based on a book by uh, the same gentleman who uh, wrote the screenplay and actually won an Oscar award for that. The movie begins with a brief prologue that takes place in an archaeological dig in Iraq where uh, a priest, Father Marin, is uh, notified that a a small talisman, a small idol has been found. And this idol is uh, recognized immediately by the priest as being an idol to a a demon that uh, he has a past with. And he soon uh, goes to another part of Iraq where he finds himself facing a uh, life-size statue of the same demon and that uh, image is left on the screen for a few moments and comes back later in the movie Uh, we then move to Georgetown in Washington DC where we're introduced to the protagonists of the film Chris McNeil a successful actress and her 12 year old daughter Regan they live in a uh, beautiful brownstone in Georgetown while she is filming um, a movie and it becomes obvious very quickly that something is not right in the house and that it is affecting Reagan specifically. Uh, Reagan becomes progressively more uh, bizarre in her behaviors, bizarre in her appearance, and um, absolutely distraught. Her mother seeks uh, care, first from a variety of different types of physicians, eventually psychiatrists, and at some point um, a neurologist suggests that it is possible that because we can't find anything wrong, you may want to turn to a priest because maybe your daughter is possessed. Um, she doesn't take this terribly seriously as she is not a religious person, but she ends up having a a run in with her daughter at this point who is really, uh, turned into uh, something that she just doesn't recognize anymore. And she, uh, meets with a priest by the name of, uh, father Damien Karras, who is another character we've met earlier in the film and had quite a bit of backstory on. And uh, Father Karras, uh, most importantly, is questioning his faith. And he agrees to meet the girl, and after meeting the girl, is convinced very quickly that something is really not right, and uh, does become to believe very quickly that uh, there may actually be a possession going on, which causes him again to have this crisis of faith that is really magnified. 
the church agrees to go ahead with a exorcism, but calls in Father Marin, who we met earlier in the film in Iraq, who is now back stateside. Father Marin comes, helps uh, Father Karras with the exorcism, um, and in the end, Father Karen, uh, Father Karen, uh, excuse me, Father Marin uh, ends up being killed in the process of the exorcism. And Father Karras, in order to uh, save Reagan, has to take the demon on uh, himself and then sacrifices himself to save Reagan. So a very um, complex story, a very, powerful. very powerful story, uh, really focusing on relationships. Um, but before we get too deep into like our analysis of the film, Sam, why don't we just talk about how it felt to actually watch this movie? So at the beginning, it, it was very, I suppose it was very interesting, but it was also, it took a lot of time to establish these different relationships between these characters and really give each of the characters a backstory and really develop them. And I think that's very important in a horror movie, and it's very different from what we see now, where it's mostly straight to the chase, this is why we're supposed to be afraid. But it really develops the relationships and the characters, and that was really interesting to me. And it really it inspired me to have more sympathy for Reagan further on in the movie because I knew what she, I kind of understood what she was suffering through and I understood why her mother was having so much difficulty as she is very close with her mother. And it was incredibly disturbing for me and I wasn't able to sleep <laughs> for a very long time afterwards, but it, it definitely had some disturbing images, but it was a very interesting film it had an interesting pull to it where I just couldn't stop watching. Yeah, I, I think you that, that's a really excellent description. Um, you know, the pacing of this movie, similar to Psycho, was it wasn't in a hurry to get to where it needed to go. Uh, it took its time, and it did so in a way that was remarkably effective because at its core, this is a movie about relationships. Um, there's a continued theme of old versus young, there's uh, old versus new, if you will, and then just, you know, daughter and, excuse me, mother and uh, child. So we have, you know, Reagan and her mother, we have uh, Father Karras and his mother, uh, both of whom have very close relationships and scenes of real intimacy early in the movie that really get us to sympathize, like you said, with those characters, because we see how close they are with their family and not the kinds of things you see in movies today, right? I mean, yes. this kind of pacing. And both of us remarked as we were watching the movie, the absence of music to set the mood and to almost set you up for, for scares was... Yes, it was, it was really strange because... At times there were music and it really seemed like it was adding to the suspense where I was waiting for a jump scare. So I was like squinting to make sure that I wouldn't see anything too scary and then nothing would happen. And then there would be um, scenes in the movie with no music and I was not prepared for what I was about to see. Yeah, yeah. It, it just goes to show that like the really good filmmakers the really good scares don't need music to set you up 
Um, we saw that with Psycho as well, where, you know, these, these are, you know, uh, William Friedkin, uh, a, a renowned director at the time, but really the pinnacle was the exorcist of his career. Um, he, he really showed his chops in this film and, and, and generated so much suspense without the use of, you know, atmospheric music to do anything. Uh, he, um... You know, I remember when we were watching it together, I just, you know, the, the jump cuts that he would use going from quiet scenes in Washington to all of a sudden very loud subway in New York, uh, you know, when there was really nothing scary going on. But just it's constantly kept you nervous because it was like this this almost it kept you on the edge of your kept seat. you on the edge because it was just these unexpected sort of jumps. I, I remember being you know, confused at the prologue because they didn't spoon feed you all the narrative that you needed. They didn't tell you the name of the demon. They didn't tell you who this man was played by Max von Sydow. It was Uh, just very mysterious throughout and you were left to wonder. Yeah. And, and all of that just lent to this sense of unease with, of course, the foreboding that we we know it's coming and and we were just waiting for it to get there. Uh, the scene where Ellen Burstyn's character, Chris McNeil, when she goes into the attic. Yes, that was. Oh my goodness, I was I was just waiting for a, like a demon to jump out or for there to be some sudden movement. And really, there were some mysterious things that happened, but nothing of what I was expecting and. That was really frightening to me because I was like, oh, well, nothing's happening yet. There must be something big coming. Right. And and in the end, when the movie really got into it and when the movie really got scary and, and it was scary and in such an unconventional way, I mean, and by conventional, I'm thinking of like, you know, you've referred to jump scares several times. There are no jump scares in this movie. Not one. Yes. I mean, basically... The, the fear from this movie comes from the dread that's built up over the first half of it. And then the, almost a the claustrophobia, like everything takes place in that bedroom, right? And, everything and takes place in that bedroom. Everything takes place in that, in that house and, and in Reagan. And that's really frightening. And there, uh, there's this specific scene that's been stuck in my mind since we watched the movie where it's in, it, incredibly cold in the room. And the mother asks uh, Father... Um, Karis. Karis, thank you. Father Karis to come and investigate something that's happening with Regan where the demon is clearly asleep, but Regan seems to be writing on the, the inside of her body, help me against the skin, which is just so frightening to think that Regan is stuck inside her own body. Uh, it's it's that psychological terror, and I, I think the reason that this movie was so scary, uh, you know, we're we're not religious in our house. We're very secular. Mom is Catholic, but you know, we don't go to church, and so we don't partake in the in in the Catholic experience. So it, it's a little foreign for us to watch this movie and and see some of the church scenes and see Father Karras. But you know, this movie is extremely scary for anybody who is obviously deeply religious and believes in demons and believes in, you know, exorcism. But even without that, the psychological terror of watching these relationships and watching what, you know, the mother is going through as her daughter becomes this monster. And like you said, 
the idea or the notion that Reagan is trapped within. Um, I agree with you. Horrifying. Yeah, that 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 helped me scene was very disturbing and distressing, as as were many of the others. And we'll talk about them when we talk about uh, the film itself. Did at any point you feel like you couldn't watch? Oh, there were several points where really? I couldn't watch. Really? Like when? Well, when... I mean, I did watch, even though I didn't want to. <laughs> the first scene where you could really tell that the demon was taking over Reagan um, with the crucifix and her slapping her mother and really like showing um, her telekinetic powers and her head turning all the way around, that was really <laughs> distressing for me. <laughs> and another scene when Father Kinley, I believe, is killed um, and... Father... Father Mirren, you mean? Or Father... I'm so yeah, sorry. That's okay. I, I, Father Mirren is killed, yeah. Up everyone. Yeah. Father Mirren was killed, and the other priest takes the demon upon himself, and you can just see the demon, like, just trying to get out, and then he sacrifices himself. I just couldn't bear to watch. It was just so frightening and disturbing and... Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Horrifying. Yeah. I think the things that that for me really resonated the most were the watching the like obviously as a parent watching the mother be so distraught and feel so helpless and just wanting more than anything to have her daughter back. So what's wrong with her? We still think the temporal lobe. Oh, what are you talking about? For Christ's sakes, did you see her or not? She's acting like she's fucking out of her mind, psychotic, like a what you, a split personality or And then also as a son, the you know, seeing the tenderness between um Father Karras and his mother, uh, and then after his mother dies, when the demon is taunting him in his mother's voice. I mean, these these were just gut-wrenching scenes not not necessarily scary but just really distressing and and to me that's what made this movie was that they spent so long getting you to know these characters and getting you to know these relationships and then just destroying them Dime, why you do this to me please Dimi, i'm afraid you're not my mother. Dear me, please. And taking you through the ringer, um, it was really, really shocking. I mean, the the physically, the the visuals were shocking, and we'll yes. we'll talk about some of that. But but just like it was just shocking on a lot of levels, and and really disturbing and distressing, and. Yeah, it was a tough film, but but such a good film. We both, when, when it finished, both of us, I remember we looked at each other and we were just like, my God, what a great movie. Yes, it was just amazing. Yeah, so all of this, all of this talk about how distressing it is and everything else, we're not saying it to dissuade anybody from seeing it. If you have not seen this film, this we is... We highly a, recommend you do yeah. because it's... It really sticks with you, and it's just an amazing film. Yeah, and it doesn't stick with you necessarily in a bad way. It's just one of those movies that just 
lingers because it's yes. so powerful. And that's why you watch good films, because they have an impact on you. Well, let's get into some of the meat of how this film was made, how it was received, and what the what some of the issues were, the controversies really about when it came out in 1973. Um, so what did you find when uh, you did some research on this film, Sam? And, so, and how did it how did it sort of make your experience watching it even better after the fact? Oh, okay. Here we go. Yes, it was based on a book, but that book was actually inspired by a true story, a real exorcism in 1949 on a 13-year-old boy. Oh, my goodness. That frightened me to my very core. <laughs> well, so interestingly, so um, the... The writer was in Jesuit school, learning to be a Jesuit, and he was doubting his own faith. And he came across the story of the exorcism of the boy, and he wrote the book, which is a fictionalized account, but the book is much more ambiguous in terms of whether or not the boy really had mental illness or whether or not there was a true exorcism. And I think that's a really important distinction because the movie takes away that ambiguousness, right? And yeah. I, I don't have a problem with that. I think the movie I think the movie told a different story. And I think that that the ending of the movie was important to have that ending the way it was because it resolved this whole crisis of faith with Father Karras. Um, but in the book, apparently, I have not read it, but apparently in my research, what I came across was that um, the book's ending is much more ambiguous. It's not totally clear that it's actually a possession and left much more with the idea that this could have just been mental illness. And in fact, historians who have looked at that case have are quite convinced that that's, of course, actually what it was. What else did you find? Well, that's more reassuring. Um, so I also found that they, um, that because of the true story to... Um, protect the family's identity. They changed the gender of um, from male to female. I remember watching the movie, and every time we would pause it and kind of <laughs> discuss it just a little bit, um, I would recurringly say how amazed I was at the special effects and the makeup that was used. I thought that was amazing. Yeah. So I actually looked up the makeup artist, um, Dick Smith, who was who recently won an Oscar um, for his work and how much research he put in to really have the audience be frightened by Reagan's appearance and how he wanted to make sure that she didn't turn that, that it was still Reagan that she didn't turn into a complete monster, but that you could see that it was very, very wrong. Yeah. Yeah, and and the makeup, you're right. The visuals are incredible, um, especially for 1973. I can't think of too many movies around that time that had those kinds of visuals. I mean, the head spinning, it's not too hard to figure out looking at it. You could sort of see what's going on, but uh, at the time, it's still very shocking the first time you see it. The other, the vomiting and everything else, I mean, th those things were <laughs> were done very well, but, but I agree with you. The visual of the demon entering Father Karras towards the end is, is really striking and done better than I had expected it to be done, uh, especially for a 1973 film. So yes, I agree with you 100%. Uh, I found some interesting information about the uh, makeup 
making of the movie, um, the novel was a huge success, but casting the movie was really, really difficult, mostly yeah. because a lot of people didn't want to be involved. Uh, the, the studio was not interested in making this into a movie, similar to the same kinds of thing that we heard with Psycho. And a lot of actors said no. Uh, including the director's first choice for Reagan, which is an interesting coincidence, Jamie Lee Curtis, who was a child at the time. Her mother, Janet Lee, who was the actress in Psycho, uh, was not interested in having Jamie Lee Curtis play Reagan. So I thought that was quite interesting. Yeah, that is um, quite interesting. Yeah. Others were uh, just unable to, to do the movie for various reasons. Audrey Hepburn was asked. I think that would have made this movie for me personally, even more compelling since I'm such a huge Hepburn fan, but yes. it would have changed it because I think Ellen Burstyn does a fantastic job. Uh, she was unable to do it because she was living in Rome and she wanted the production moved there and that just would have added too much cost. And Bancroft was pregnant, couldn't do it. Uh, and the studio wanted uh, Friedrich to use Marlon Brando in the part of um, Father Karras. And he said no. Uh, which I think was a wise decision. Uh, despite the fact that Brando obviously would have brought something spe special to the film, uh, the director was reticent to have this movie be about Brando. He wanted it to be about the story. So it was kind of interesting. Now, when the movie came out, it was extremely controversial, and I do want to spend a couple of minutes talking about that because uh, at the time, some of these scenes, which you know, I know when you and I were watching it, we were like, no big deal, uh, were incredibly controversial and elicited like visceral reactions from audiences. There were stories at the time of people fainting, vomiting, having cardiac arrests after watching cardiac or during arrests. watching. Oh, yes. Uh, the scene, uh, so the vomiting scenes were were you know, disturbing to a lot of people, as were the scenes of Reagan, her head spinning, things like that. But the one that got the most uh, controversy and the one that caused the most distress among audiences was the scene where Reagan is having an angiography, a cerebral angiography. So I you and I... understand that. Yeah, you and I were watching that scene, and I remember saying, why are they putting a needle in her neck? This is not correct. And yes, I remember you were like, are they trying to kill her? I don't understand. And I was just kind of sitting there like, well, I'm not a physician, so I don't totally understand where you're coming from, but I don't get it either. So I went and looked, and uh, it turns out, so we do cerebral angiography still today, and the way we do that is we start in the groin. We put a needle in the artery in the groin, we thread it up to the neck, um, and then we inject dye. But in those days, in the 1970s, they put a needle in the carotid artery, which is exactly what is done in the film. Now, the thing that caused a lot of distress for people is when the needle goes into her carotid artery, I mean, the blood is pumping. Yes. You know, and, and it was that amount of blood that was shown and the blood just pumping out of her neck that is what caused people to, to lose their... So I found a funny story. Uh, that I, I think is worth telling. Uh, Ellen Burstyn was in Arizona and she was filming something else. And uh, she went to see The Exorcist. And she's sitting in the theater and the angiography scene comes on and a woman gets up and is clearly not doing well. She's walking out of the theater very faint and, and Ms. Bernstein jumps up and goes to assist this woman and is helping her out, but the woman collapses. And uh, Ellen Burstyn is standing there over this woman trying to you know help revive her and realizes, oh my God, if this woman wakes up and sees me standing over her, it's going to be like a total Twilight Zone thing where here I was in The Exorcist and now I'm standing over her. She's going to 
absolutely lose her mind. So she had to find somebody else to come and help this woman so that she could go away and not be involved. <laughs> but wow. yeah, it was a really big deal. I mean, it was uh, it, it was quite amazing, and uh, it, it you know, and in fact, it was a it was a real doctor who um, is shown uh, holding the needle and uh, doing uh, most of that procedure. And in fact, the depiction of the angiography in that scene is apparently something that has been shown in um, other medical scenarios to show how this procedure used to be done. Uh, that's how accurate it was. Wow. So, so shame on me for doubting it. <laughs> and uh, in the end, it was an interesting uh, view of uh, how medicine was practiced back in the 1970s because there was uh, quite a bit of medicine shown in this film, and it was all uh, interesting for me. Um, what did you uh, think about... Um, that shot, uh, the scene where Father Marin arrives at the house in the fog. Oh, yes, I remember. You paused it right before. You were so excited. You were like, oh, my gosh, this is such a special scene. <laughs> so that uh, scene, that lighting, is actually based on a famous painting uh, by uh, a surrealist painter. Yeah, it's a famous painting and uh, by Charles, uh, Charles? Uh, by Magritte. And um, that painting is what, they tried to replicate in that scene and that's just a very classic sort of look of it's very uh, ominous it's very ominous it's very atmospheric and and really like so much of the film you know mysterious lots of mystery lots of atmosphere i mean so much of the film takes place in the bedroom which just gives the sense of claustrophobia um and and Friedrich Friedkin was incredibly um, old school with his directing style. So he really put his actors through the the ringer. Did you come across anything in your research about that? Well, I came across something about the voice actress. Yeah, tell us about that. what she had to do to get that demon voice. Right, so she was very famous. She, uh, a famous radio voice actress. Yes, so she was a previous alcoholic and had stopped, quit drinking, quit smoking at that point. But to really get that demonic sound, she actually began drinking again, started smoking again, swallowed raw eggs every day, and was restrained while... Um, while doing the voice to really create that horrifying sound. And I just cannot believe that that is what she did just for this one movie. Why would someone put themselves through that just for this one sound for uh, this one yeah, movie? That's, that's, so that's something called method acting. And uh, you will see that in a lot of very famous actors, Robert De Niro, Christian Bale, they really get into their character and they do whatever it takes to be the character. And this is just one example, in this case, just for a voice. So interesting, it's, it was Mercedes, do you have her it name? It was Mercedes McCambridge. So Mercedes McCambridge, as I said, a very famous voice actress from radio years, but also had some acting, acting roles in film. Uh, she played this part and there was some discrepancy as to whether or not she wanted a credit or didn't want a credit. But when the movie came out, she initially wasn't credited as having the voice. Uh, she sued and ended up getting credited on the film. And there was a lot of discussion about did Linda Blair, who played Reagan, 
deserve. So she had been nominated as Best Supporting Actress. And when it turned out, when people found out that she had not voiced the demon, people started to question, well, did she really deserve the the Academy Award? And there was a lot of controversy about that. And people think it cost her the award, which I think is a real shame because regardless of whether or not she voiced the demon parts, her role, I mean, her acting in this movie, she carries this movie. She carries this movie. She is phenomenal. And what she went through in making this movie, so going back to the director, Friedkin, this man went to extraordinary lengths manipulating his actors. I mean, it was just incredible. They were yanked violently around in harnesses. What? Uh, Yeah, so remember when um, Reagan and her mom are having a fight and, you know, Reagan hits her mother in the face and the mother falls to the floor? This is just where the furniture gets moved around. (laughs) Well, that... In that scene, uh, Ellen Burstyn was yanked very violently to the floor with the harness and actually oh. injured her back. Uh, Linda Blair injured her back during a scene. Uh, the the bedroom, uh, you mentioned how cold it was. Yes. Well, they actually put the set in a commercial refrigerator and filmed everything in this refrigerator. The temperatures in that bedroom were like below freezing so that you could see the actor's voice, uh, actor's breath. And uh, Linda Blair was wearing uh, like a nightie. And she forever afterwards said that she hated being cold because she was so cold during the filming of that movie. Uh, Some other things that he did, he, um, he would fire blanks in a gun uh, without warning, just to you know, to to get the shock from the actors, and he would. This is while the film was rolling, just to wow. you know, to get scared. And uh, a famous story uh, was uh, you remember at the very end where Father Karras yeah. has fallen down the stairs, and um, the other priest, who's his friend, uh, uh, Father O'Malley, uh, or no, that's not his name in the movie. That's his actual name is O'Malley. Mm-hmm. Uh, he comes and is administering the last rites. Yes. Well, he he looks very shaken. He looks very sort of like this has really shaken him to the core. Well, Mm -hmm. apparently just before that scene, Friedkin, the director, went up to the actor O'Malley and said, do you trust me? And O'Malley said yes. And so Friedkin slapped him in the face. What? And then as soon as he slapped him in the face, he turned around and said, action. And they started filming the scene. And so the priest who was, was visibly shaking during that scene was doing so because he'd just been hit in the face by the director. Oh my gosh. So this was the kind of director he was. <laughs> wow, I got a completely different um, impression of the director <laughs> because um, I was looking up how he casted uh, Linda Blair and how he really didn't want Linda Blair to be frightened by this movie and didn't want her to be like shaken and traumatized. So he would really try to keep the set light. <laughs> I'm getting a totally different impression now. I think I think he probably, you know, he there, listen, the stories that, that come out and the stories that stick are going to be the ones like this where hitting an actor in the face. But I'm sure he had his, his qualities around Linda Blair that were, you know, <laughs> one of the things I read about him. So there's another scene in the movie where Linda Blair is masturbating with a cross. Mm-hmm. And that's that at the time was just like 
that caused the film to be banned in many places. Um, but uh, to be sure that Linda Blair was going to be able to do that, he, you know, during his interview with her, he was asking her uh, all kinds of questions <laughs> yeah. about, about masturbation. And when she responded in a way that made him believe that she was going to be comfortable with it, he, he knew that she was the one. He kept for the asking part. her and, and he said, do you know what that means? And she was like, yes, do you? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was the way she did it. And, 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 and you could see that Reagan in her best moments clearly gets something or gets a lot from Linda Blair. So any final thoughts on the exorcist, Sam? I don't think so. Other than the acting was amazing. The characters were wonderfully developed and it was just a, a film that will linger with me for a very long time. Yeah. And, um, we both highly recommend it. If you have not seen it, it's, or even if you have seen it a while ago, we definitely think it's worth a revisit. Um, for the next movie, we're going to be staying in the 70s. It's going to be another contemporary film to The Exorcist, uh, a film starting, starring Mia Farrow called Rosemary's Baby. And uh, the director of that uh, movie is uh, a director who has courted a lot of controversy in his career, and it's going to be an interesting conversation. I'm excited. Well, I'm glad you're excited. I hope I can sleep afterwards. <laughs> That's why I say that. <laughs> well, until uh, the next time, we hope that you will uh, sleep well, catch up on these movies, and uh, that you'll join us for episode three. I'm Dead. And I'm Slaughter. This has been the Dead and Slaughter Dad and Daughter Horror Show. Bye. <laughs>